You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I believe that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. And I believe that he rules and overrules the events of our lives, permitting, directing activities, circumstances, and yes, even annoyances. Listen, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, there we are told he works all things after the counsel of his own will. What is greatness? Is it attaining celebrity, political power, material wealth, athletic prowess, or great relationships? For most of us, our definitions will vary widely. But ultimately, as believers, greatness should be characterized by our devotion to God. As Pastor Mike will encourage us in today's message, God has a plan for each one of us, and it's a good plan that will profit us greatly. Not necessarily in the ways this world looks for profit, but it'll bring joy and spiritual gains that this world fails to provide. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9 as he begins his message, Intended for Greatness. Chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of Benjamin, that is of the tribe of Benjamin, whose name was Kish. He was the son of Abiel, the son of Zerar, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of a power. In other words, he was a, a, an affluent individual, influential, and very wealthy. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Now remember last time where we left off, we we discovered that the people of God, the nation of Israel, was uh, appealing to Samuel, uh, to God, rather uh, appealing God through Samuel, that they would uh, be able to have a king. And I find this kind of interesting because I don't know if you knew this or not, but the name Saul literally means asked of God. So isn't that interesting? And isn't that exactly what they were asking for, a king? And of course, we're going to discover that Saul actually became the first king over uh, Israel. So anyway, just a little bit of trivia. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. In other words, he had an extremely long neck. He would have probably fit into the category of a Disney prince, 
You know, the guy was a real uh, looker. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. Okay, now, uh, let me begin by asking you a, a question, uh, something to uh, respond to. How would you define what is great? Now, remember what we're talking about, intended for greatness. Now, if I asked you that question personally, how would you respond? How would you define what is great? And what constitutes greatness? Is it something that is better than anything else? For, like, for example, let me give you a couple of examples of this. Thinking about uh, a sports uh, illustration of this. The Green Bay Packers, yesterday won their first round in the playoffs. So would we refer to the Green Bay Packers as better uh, than any of the other uh, teams in their division? Are they greater than any of the other teams in their division? Or how about an example from the arts, uh, movies? What's one of your favorite movies? The Godfather, maybe? Or Forrest Gump? And how would you describe that? Well, that's the greatest movie that I've ever seen. Or how about, as another example of this, uh, how about food? And uh, you've gone out for the first time to a, a restaurant. Maybe you've been given a gift card or something. And, and uh, so you're at this restaurant for the first time. And, and after uh, uh, having the meal uh, and leaving, you turn to the person that you've just uh, had dinner with and said, you know what, honey, that's the greatest meal that I've ever uh, had. So how do we define greatness? And what constitutes greatness? Is it something that is lasting? Is it something that is temporal? Is it something that is eternal? Well, more importantly, how does God consider greatness? Well, i got to tell you something. I personally believe that only the things that we do for Jesus Christ and advancing his kingdom are great. And why is that? Because you know what? Only the things that we do for the Lord will last forever. You know, let me give you a cross-reference for this. In 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, in verse 19, Paul himself said, What is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So the idea there is, is that we've invested in another person's life encouraging them uh, in the things of the Lord, the things that we do to help further bring people to Christ. And, and as far as uh, I believe, those are the things that God concerns as being uh, great. So anyway, I just wanted to uh, mention that. And you know what? The wonderful thing is about it is that it's within each and every one of our reaches to do something great, Right? Because God has given us the opportunities to minister to other people. Uh, you know, and, and a, uh, an example of that is, I've, as I've just mentioned, through your generous giving. Now we have the opportunity to reach thousands of people in a, in a period of one week. Think about that, right? Those are the things that we should consider great. Well, anyway, that kind of sets up our study. You see, I believe that God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. And I believe that he rules and overrules the events of our lives, permitting, directing activities, circumstances, and yes, even annoyances. 
Listen, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, there we are told he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And I think it would serve us well to become aware of that. There's nothing going on in your life right now except what God is allowing to go on within your life. And God wants to use you. Now, I know many of you want to be used by God, but listen, let me let you know that God wants to use you more than you want him to use you. He's just looking for people to work through. Now, illustrations of this can be found throughout history. Let me give you a couple of examples from history. Uh, Christopher Columbus felt greatly disheartened and discouraged after many attempts to obtain financing for a trip to India. Now, while on his way back to Italy, he stopped one day at a convent not far from Granada, Grenada, and asked for a drink of water. The monk who gave him the water and heard his story was the man who intervened on his behalf with Queen Isabella. And out of that request for a glass of water came the money to equip the vessels that ultimately crossed the Atlantic. That request led to the discovery of America. And it all began with the asking of a drink of water. Let me give you another example from history. One day, when Abraham Lincoln was rummaging through a barrel of odds and ends, he came across a copy of Lord Blackstone's commentaries on British jurisprudence. This chance discovery awakened his interest in law and human rights. And as a result, he ran for political office and eventually played a decisive role in the history of our uh, country. Let me give you another example of this. Uh, John Bunyan, uh, you're probably familiar uh, with that, uh, th that name, the great English writer and Puritan preacher, best remembered for his Christian analogy, Pilgrim's Progress, who was drafted as a soldier in the Civil War in England and was sent to take part in the siege of Leicester. And as he was about to begin sentry duty one night, another requested that they exchange responsibilities. Well, Bunyan agreed. And that night, the other soldier was shot in the head and died. Bunyan was spared so that in the providence of God, he might minister through the written word to generations to uh, come. Listen, these seemingly chance contacts and events have literally altered the course of history. So listen, there's nothing going on within your life, within my life, that is not meaningful. God uses those opportunities to do his work. Now, these illustrations that I've just uh, talked about here, uh, they illustrate on a human level what we see in the biblical story of Saul and his election to the throne of Israel. Gang, once again, God is involved in the seemingly little things of our lives. And you know what? I think that this, this kind of knowledge should strengthen us in our faith. Why is that? Because we know that God loves us. We know that God has a purpose, uh, something that he wants to accomplish through our lives. And it's going to be a blessing. God's all about blessing his uh, people. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 29, in verse 11, there we are told, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future 
a hope that is an expected end. So God wants to do great things in and through each and every one of our lives. Okay, now with that said, let's go back to our uh, text. Here in chapter 9, notice there in verse 1, we are first introduced to Saul's dad. His name was Kish. A little background. Kish's family had at one time lived in the city of Gibeon, according to 1 Chronicles in chapter uh, 9. And there he is distinguished for his courage. He became, as I've already suggested, an affluent, wealthy, and influential man. And notice, according to our text, one day Kish discovered that his donkeys were missing, and thus he sends his son Saul to look for them. Notice his words that are recorded for us there in verse 3. He says, arise, go, look, that is, search for them. And so, a series of events, and at first glance, we would consider them small events, right? A series of events were set in motion that would eventually bring Saul to Samuel, the prophet, who would anoint Saul as Israel's first king. Okay, let's go back now to chapter 9, and let's pick up in verses 4 and uh, 5. And so he passed through the mountains. Okay, so he's on this occupation now of finding his dad's donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalashah, uh, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, and that was the land that was allotted to the tribe of Benjamin there in the land of Canaan. But they did not find them there neither. And when they had come to the land of Zup, how, how would you like to have lived in a city called Zup? Where are you from? I'm from Zup. Saul said to his servants, who was with him? Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Now, you know, let me just depart from the text and mention, you know, when we think of donkeys, we usually think of them as dumb animals. But I got to tell you something. These particular donkeys that we're being introduced to here in our text are a lot smarter than a lot of human beings are because they were smart enough to be directed and used by God. God was using these donkeys for a specific purpose, that is, in anointing Saul as the first king over uh, Israel. Well, anyway, let's, go, let's continue there in verse 5. When they had come to the land of Zup, Saul said to his servant, who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Okay, uh, let me break this down for you. So, Saul, his servant, spent approximately about three uh, days searching diligently for the donkeys, but to no avail. They passed through the entire territory of Benjamin, according to our text, without having any success. Frustrated now and exhausted, Saul is about to give up. He's concerned about his father's fear for their safety. What a good boy, right? Uh, this is very commendable. And for a moment, I, I would just like to address any of our young people, uh, children, 
who may be watching along with their parents uh, this morning, this is very uh, commendable because children, no matter how old, should care about their parents' feelings. Your parents are concerned about you and the things that you do, the things that you don't do as well. So this is very uh, commendable concerning uh, Saul. He's truly a good uh, boy. He was concerned that his father, because of them uh, being apart from him for an extended period of time, might be worrying about them. Well, anyway, his servant, however, believed they had one last chance to find Kish's donkeys. Okay, let's pick up in verses 6 through 9 now. And he said to him, look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. He's referring to Samuel. All that he says surely comes to pass. He had the gift of prophecy. So let us go there, and perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man, that is, Samuel? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God, Samuel, to tell us our way. Formally, verse 9, and by the way, uh, whenever you see a verse of Scripture that's in parentheses, it's not in the original manuscripts. So I, I don't know if you knew that or not. But it's added as a commentary, and it helps us to better understand what's going on. And so the writer thought best to uh, include that verse that's recorded there in verse 9, although it's not uh, written in the original manuscript. So whenever you see a verse in parentheses, it's something that's been added by the writers or the translators. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, Come, let us go to the seer, or the prophet, for he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Okay, now, what is interesting here is that Saul is totally ignorant of Samuel's existence. That is, his ministry. The effect that he had upon the nation of Israel. Bringing them to blessing. Calling them back into a relationship, communion with God. Which then, if you think about it, indicates that Kish and his family, including Saul, were entirely irreligious. They were immersed in their own pursuits. Remember, they were very wealthy. They were very affluent. But anyway, upon learning of, Samuel's, uh, of Samuel, Saul evidently uh, became interested and was concerned. Now, you know, uh, uh, this is something also that I want to uh, draw your attention to. Go back to verse uh, 6. When the servant begins to referred to and tells Saul about this man who has the capacity to be able to tell the future. He's an honorable man. This is to the credit of Samuel. His reputation was well known. And I think it speaks volumes to us this morning about the importance of our reputation and our commitment to God. Because think about it, when all is lost, when other people outside of the church don't know where to turn for the answers to their questions, the solutions to their problems, 
they will turn to a man or a woman of God. You know, maybe you felt like, you know, you've been trying to find an inroads, you've been trying to you know, minister to people at work or maybe a, a member of your immediate family and, and it seems like your, your words have just fallen to the ground that hasn't had any, had any effect upon them. But let me tell you something, uh, when the chips are down, those people, because of your reputation, because of they know that who you are and your relationship with God, you can be sure that they'll turn to you in those kinds of situations, in those times. And then you can seize upon those times and begin to share Christ with them. You can appeal to the scriptures. You can open up the Bible and, and offer solutions and counsel and, you know, to address their particular problems. So I think that this particular verse of scripture speaks to us volumes about the importance of our reputation, our commitment. Uh, our relationship with uh, the Lord. Well, anyway, uh, there, uh, but there's a problem, and the mention of that problem here, learning of Samuel, Saul, evidently, as I mentioned before, is concerned, he's interested, but they had nothing to offer the seer or the prophet. Notice there in verse 7, because giving a prophet a gift, some wages, some compensation, for their aid, was customary. It was just a custom, but, they, uh, but Saul didn't think that he had anything uh, to offer Samuel. Well, anyway, the servant steps up and solves the problem. Notice there in verses 8 and 9, he had one quarter shek uh, shekel of uh, silver. And so anyway, Saul agrees. And then in verse 10 we read, Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. And so they went to the city where the man of God, that is Samuel, was. And then in verses 11 through 14, let's go back to our text. And as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer or the prophet here? And they answered them and said, Yes, there he is. Uh, he's just ahead of you. Hurry now. For today he came to the city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high places. Now this is a reference to some hilltop where sacrifices were regularly offered upon an altar. Probably that altar was erected by Samuel himself. Verse 13, as soon as you come into the city, these are the instructions that the women provided, you will surely find them, uh, find him, before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. And so they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel. In my father's house, there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be. First oh, Samuel takes you from the pastures that David shepherded to Saul's palace where David played his harp. It walks you through the battles that were won and lost, and it touches on one of the most unique friendships in the whole Bible. To say this book is interesting is an understatement. There are so many lessons to be learned from reading 1 Samuel. 
Ultimately, we're reminded that people wanted a human king. But no ruler or leader on earth will be perfect and they'll make many mistakes. Only God is perfect and is the very best king. Thanks for listening today. You can explore more of Pastor Mike's messages by searching for In My Father's House on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org. We're also streaming each Sunday and Thursday service so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? We'd love your prayerful support. And if you feel led, we're also thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for listening in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time as Pastor Mike teaches on 1 Samuel, here on In My Father's House.